0: with Dr. Frank Turek. How are Christians supposed to respond to the cancel culture? Because the cancel culture is seems to be canceling everything. What are we to do? Are we supposed to cancel people? Are we supposed to get involved in this? What happens when someone tries to cancel us or threatens to cancel us if we don't see things there way. That's what we're going to talk about here today and maybe get to a couple of other topics if we have time. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Let me ask you a question. When you think of the cancel culture, what, what kind of words come to your mind? What kind of descriptors come to your mind? Because for me, here are some of the descriptors that come to my mind. It's rash. It's hostile. It's judgmental. I know there are many people rightfully upset with the church in uh, many centuries ago, where they would bring people up for heresy trials. Well, in the cancel culture, you don't even get a trial. <laughs> you, it's, it's judgment without a trial. You post something politically incorrect or against, say, transgender ideology on your Instagram feed or your Twitter or wherever, or you say something at work that, you, that people somehow just don't like, and there's going to be a rash Hostile, judgmental response, and you will have very little recourse. It's spiteful. It's envious. It's certainly divisive. There's nothing redeeming about this. It's unforgiving. You really can't come back from it. At least it seems like you can. It's uh, joyless. Do people who get involved in cancel culture, do they seem like the kind of people you want to hang out with? No, there's no joy in this at all. It's graceless. No joy, no grace, no forgiveness. It's bullying. It's another word I think of. For the people who say they're fighting bullying, sometimes they're the biggest bullies out there. It's oppressive, it's intolerant. I've noticed those who say they're fighting for tolerance are often the most intolerant people out there. By the way, tolerance requires you to disagree with the other person. If you're gonna tolerate another person or another idea, by definition, you have to disagree with it. You don't tolerate things you agree with, you tolerate things you disagree with. If you agree with it, you agree with it. So when people claim you have to be tolerant, yet they don't tolerate anything that you say that they disagree with, they're not tolerant at all. It's see it my way or else. It's obviously unloving, it's legalistic, It's idolatrous. It's putting their ideology over God. And obviously the standard is subjective. The the, the standard keeps moving. What was considered common sense 10, 15 years ago is now considered bigotry today. The, The standard keeps moving. And by the way, what standard do people have in the cancel culture? many of these folks are atheists and they're claiming certain things are right and wrong there is no right or wrong objectively unless god exists i've used this illustration before but i think it's a communicates fairly well think of uh, your uh, your favorite football team how do you know that your quarterback throwing a touchdown is better than your quarterback throwing an interception the only way you could know that is if there's a purpose to the game right If there's no purpose to the game, you couldn't say that a touchdown was better than an interception because there's no standard by which to judge those plays. Without purpose, you can't see if a play is good or bad. Same thing is true in life. If there's no purpose to life, you can't see if a particular behavior is good or bad. Is it taking you closer to the purpose or further away from the purpose? You need an objective purpose. If everyone has their own subjective purposes, then you can't have a community because there's nothing common to unify around. If it's just your moral point of view rather than the moral point of view from God, then you're not going to have a community because everyone's just going to do what's right in their own eyes. The last verse of the book of Judges, everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. There's no joint communal standard. There's no There's no thing we all agree on. There's no, we hold these truths to be self-evident. It's just whatever I decide is right for me. Doesn't matter what you think is right for you. Oh, you say, well, no, they can, everyone can live out their own truth. No, they can't, can't live out your own truth. What if your truth disagrees with your neighbor? And that's going to cause conflict between you and your neighbor on a particular issue. You just can't say, well, Uh, We we, we don't have to have any community, nothing we agree on. If there's nothing we agree on, you can't have a community. This is why, by the way, all the calls for diversity are misplaced. A country is not strong based on its diversity. It's strong based on its unity. Now, yes, you may need diverse talents within a, a country or within a company or within an organization to have a strong organization, but those are diverse talents or diverse skills or diverse gifts They're not diverse skin colors or diverse uh, sexual preferences. Those those aren't necessarily gonna bring you community. Now, obviously, there's, there's a difference between skin color and behavior. Skin color has no impact on your behavior, but sexual preference is a behavior. There's a difference there. People don't seem to see that difference, but our focus should not be on diversity our focus should be on unity e pluribus unum means out of the many one we're looking for unity we're trying to find unity in diversity we're not trying to find diversity in unity we're trying to find unity in diversity and the things that matter are when it comes to a community or what matters when it comes to a company or an organization are is can we bring our gifts Can or even to a church, obviously. Paul talks about this. Can we bring our gifts together to better serve the body, to better serve our customers, to better serve our fellow citizens? That involves uh, the kind of diversity that is good, not the kind of diversity that is superficial. Our skin color is superficial. In any event, I digress. The point I'm trying to make here is that the folks who involve in, are involved in the cancel culture have this, have this legalistic moral standard that they have no grounds for believing or justifying, and they're trying to impose that on everybody else. If you don't agree with transgender ideology, somehow you shouldn't be able to make a living. What? Where does this standard come from? Also, We need to recognize that when we're dealing with the true standard, which is God, the objective standard, his nature, we're dealing with a standard that is so holy and so pure that he said, my ways are not your ways, nor are your ways my ways, or my thoughts your thoughts. The famous passage in Isaiah chapter 55 that we sometimes quote out of context, that passage is not talking about that God's logic or knowledge is higher than ours. It's talking about that God's moral ways, his moral thoughts are higher than our immoral ways and immoral thoughts. And then he goes on to say this, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, how much higher are the heavens than the earth? I've mentioned this on the program before, but it's worth repeating. The number of stars in the universe are about equivalent to the number of sand grains on a hundred thousand earths let me say that again the number of stars in the universe are about equivalent to the number of sand grains on a hundred thousand earths and the average distance just in our galaxy between those stars is 30 trillion miles how far is that Well, if you could go space shuttle speed at five miles a second, it would take you over 200,000 years to go between one star in our galaxy and another star in our galaxy. And the number of stars in the universe are equivalent to the number of sand grains on 100,000 Earths? And that is supposed to give us an idea of how much higher God's morality is than ours? Yeah. That's why we need a savior ladies and gentlemen and that's why all these invented moralities that people are trying to impose on one another in our culture today are invalid and immoral themselves a lot more after the break you're listening to i don't have enough faith to be an atheist with frank turek back in two Welcome back to I don't have enough faith to be an atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website crossexamined.org that's crossexamined with a d on the end of it.org by the way I'll be in Tupelo Mississippi this weekend uh Sunday let's see what day is Sunday uh Sunday's the 23rd of May I'll be at Hope Church uh speaking at both services I think it's eight thirty and ten thirty, or 8 and 10 30. anyway it's on our website crossexamine.org. Click on events. You'll see uh, or cl- click on cross-examined and uh, the calendar, the Frank Turk calendar. You'll see it there. Hope to see you. If you're anywhere near Tupelo, visiting my friends at the American Family Association that broadcast this program, great organization, afa.net. Today, we're talking about cancel culture. And I was talking about some of the words that come to my mind when I hear about the cancel culture and just before the break, we were talking about how they have a standard, but they have no way to ground the standard. Many of the people in the cancel culture, they're trying to cancel people based on a moral standard that is not objective, it's just their opinion. If you don't agree with transgender ideology or LGBTQ political goals or, or, or BLM or w- whatever is in vogue right now in the culture, somehow you don't have a right to, be- to make a living or to have a uh, a voice on social media. Well, I was pointing out as well that the standard of holiness that God puts forth is beyond our comprehension. To think that this universe has stars equivalent to sand grains on a 100,000 Earths and to go between two stars just in our galaxy at five miles a second will take you over 200,000 years is to give you a sense of the awesome, majesty and holiness of God, and yet we're canceling one another on standards that don't really exist in in his nature. We're using the wrong standard. Now, Angus Manouge, who is a philosophy professor up at Concordia University, I think he heads the philosophy department up there, wrote an excellent article this past week on the Worldview Bulletin. It's something you ought to avail yourselves of. Google Worldview Bulletin. It's put out by philosophers and apologists. I think you get about one email a week. It's certainly worth getting. It's very inexpensive to uh, to uh, subscribe to it. But I want to read something he wrote uh, regarding freedom of conscience. Conscience, I should say, uh, in this article. Here's what he said. Today we are seeing a study, a stunning disregard for the connection between conscience and dignity. There is a trend for large sporting organizations and companies to project a corporate conscience by favoring various social justice movements. Yet there is no such thing as a corporate conscience. In reality, some powerful people are overriding the conscience of many of the athletes, employees, fans, and customers that happen to disagree. This profoundly disrespects the dignity of these dissenters by making a choice for them against their conscientious objection. Again, consider those biological men that think their true gender is female. Suppose someone grants that these individuals have have a right of conscience to believe this and that it would violate their dignity to require them to self-describe using male terms. It does not follow That other people should be required to use female terms to describe these individuals if, in good conscience, they do not believe they are accurate. This would be a violation of their dignity, the people that are trying to be forced or the people that are being forced to use certain pronouns. That's what Dr. Manoj is saying here, and he's absolutely right. Why is it that everybody has to adhere to someone else's concept of reality? Where, where, where does this come from? That you get to dictate how other people think and how other people should address you based on a, a false view of who you really are. Because genetically, if you're a man, you're a man. You can't change your biology. Sorry, you just can't do it. It's, it's, it's not physically possible. It's a scientific fact that if you're a man, you're gonna stay a man. You might be able to change your appearance but biologically you're still going to be a man. Why would you try and force someone else to call you a woman then? That would be a violation of their dignity, of their conscience. I mean, you can name yourself whatever you want, quite obviously. You have the right to do that, but you don't have a right to force everybody else to adhere to your reality. Now, when I say that, what am I what am I appealing to? I'm appealing to a standard outside of myself and outside of yourself. I'm appealing to to a standard that is objective to God, who says that we're made in his image and that we ought to treat one another with respect. We ought to treat one another as if we are made in one another, in in God's image, I should say. Now, that involves respecting both of our consciences on these issues. And this is what Dr. Minouj is saying here. Now, he goes on to say this in the article. He says, if we care about the unfettered pursuit of truth. All right, let me stop right there, Dr. Manoush. I don't think a lot of people are caring about the unfettered pursuit of truth, but we'll go with it. That's part of the problem. People are not interested in truth. They're not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest. And they're going to suppress the truth that they think is going to make them unhappy. And that means suppressing you if you're speaking the truth. And that truth may make them unhappy. But let me." Continue with what Dr. Manu says. If we care about the unfettered pursuit of truth, we should not silence those whose conscience disagrees with our own. As John Stuart Mill argued, all silencing of discussion is an assumption of infallibility. And this assumption is indefensible. Every age having held opinions, which subsequent ages have deemed not only false, but absurd, unquote. Exactly right. If you're going to say that nobody else should have an opinion, unless they agree with your opinion, you're claiming infallibility, that you can't be wrong. And that assumption is indefensible. Why? Because 10 years ago, if somebody claimed that you had to use a certain pronoun that didn't correspond to your biological gender, we would say, that's absurd. And now we're saying, no, everybody ought to do that. Culture changes. What people think about some of these more controversial issues changes. That's why they're controversial, right? And to say that at this present time, you're infallible and nobody else can have an opinion other than you. If they don't agree with you, they need to be shut up. That obviously is not going to bring a community, and it is obviously not going to bring a community to truth. It's not going to foster a community or bring a community to truth. Manoj goes on in this article. He says, for all his greatness as a philosopher, Aristotle's conscience did not tell him that slavery was wrong. All right, let me interrupt the thought here. Maybe his conscience did tell him it was wrong, but he suppressed it. That's possible. Anyway, let me continue with what Dr. Manu says. And William Wilberforce struggled to convince his countrymen that slavery was wrong. If we had limited our views to those held by a great authority or by a majority and ignored conscientious dissent, we might never have recognized that slavery is wrong, unquote. Hey, same thing is true with Martin Luther King, right? You had people in this country that thought, oh, all these Jim Crow laws were just fine. Or going back even, even further, slavery was just fine. If we, not, if we hadn't allowed dissent, if we hadn't allowed people to, in the public square, have a different opinion than ours, we might never have corrected those injustices. So yet here you have the cancel culture claiming they're fighting for justice, yet they're silencing people who might ha- actually have a, a better view on how to be more just. So the cancel culture is a cancer. It does not help us. It hurts us. It's better to hear a wrong opinion than to silence all opinions so you may not hear a right opinion. Unfortunately, people seem to think that they can create their own reality, and anybody that has an opinion that contradicts their own reality needs to be silenced. That is a moral position and it's an immoral position, yet, people are trying to impose it on everyone else. Here is what um, how Dr. Minouge ends this article. Again, the article is about freedom of conscience. It's on the Worldview Bulletin. He says, religious liberty is clearly under attack with increasing calls for churches, Christian schools, and other ministries to accommodate secular ideologies. It is time for Christians to defend their rights of conscience and free exercise of religion guaranteed by the First Amendment. While Christians should generally obey the governing authorities, Romans 13, when those authorities attempt to silence the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must obey God rather than man. Acts five twenty nine. 29, unquote. That's how he concludes this article. And by the way, it is not a wise thing to decide to follow your feelings on everything. We talked a little bit about this last week when we talked about true freedom. Our friend John McRae over at What Do You Meme has a video on this, uh, the What Do You Meme YouTube channel. He's now part of the uh, Cross-Examine Apologetics team. I just have about a minute clip where he explains we shouldn't follow our desires all the time. Here it is. From a Christian perspective, the Bible tells us that an over-focus on ourselves and how we feel inside is actually the problem in the world, not the solution. In fact, staying true to our feelings and acting in accordance with them is often what makes the world a worse place. For example, agape love in the Bible doesn't mean having a warm feeling towards another person or an enemy, but instead it means treating them with love, respect, and care despite not having those warm feelings towards them. This means not acting on your truest and most authentic feelings that you have deep down, but but instead acting opposed to those feelings. In Christianity, it's not a virtue to simply go along with what we feel inside. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. Instead the harder thing for us to do is to discipline ourselves to go against what we might feel strongly about deep down inside, and that's for others rather than for ourselves and our own self-expression. And of course that might mean doing things that might tick off the world, but would please God, not the other way around. Not the other way around, he said there right at the end. It kind of cut off at the end. I, I encourage you to look at John's YouTube channel. It's called What Do You Meme, M-E-M-E. He also does a couple of videos for us a month on our YouTube channel. He's part of the, Christ, uh, the Cross-Examined Apologetics team. So he's a very clear thinker on these issues. I think that particular video was a clip from one he did on Demi Lovato, uh, a, a, a singer, an actor, or actress, I should say, who also claims to be a Christian. She came out as binary um or non-binary i should say uh, this past week and so john did a video on that so if you want to see the complete uh video that he did it's only about six minutes long check that out over there at what do you mean but he's absolutely right we don't follow our feelings blindly sometimes our feelings sometimes our heart will lead us astray because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked who can know it we need to guard our hearts so we don't go down the wrong road you see yeah emotions may make life delicious but logic makes life safe and we need to follow the truth not just our emotions all right we're back in just a couple of minutes i'm frank turek of crossexamine.org don't go anywhere see you in a couple how do we respond to the cancel culture how should Christians respond to the cancel culture? What can you do when somebody kind of puts you in a corner at your workplace or online and tries to cancel you or threatens to cancel you if you don't see things their way? We're going to get to it here in this program. If you're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. By the way, I went to Southern Evangelical Seminary. I got my one of my master's degrees there and my doctorate there. If you really want to get into apologetics, philosophy, and even theology, that is a wonderful place to go. And, of course, it's all online now. COVID pushed everything online. You can't even go to the building and sit in a class anymore. Everything's online, so it's very convenient. You do it all via Zoom. But check out SES, uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary, ses.edu uh, for some amazing, uh, coursework in philosophy, apologetics and theology. Now let's talk about how we're going to respond to the cancel culture. My friend, Abdu Murray, says this about the cancel culture and how Jesus did not cancel people. He said in cancel culture, we are defined by our latest mistake. Social recovery is rare, but being canceled needn't define those victims. Jesus, after all, counted canceled people, tax collectors, zealots, prostitutes, among his disciples. Jesus was unwilling to cancel Thomas, who doubted, Peter, who thrice denied him, or his half-brother James, who long refused to believe that Jesus really was who he said he was. Yeah, notice Jesus didn't cancel people. He befriended people. He went to people on the other side of the track, so to speak. He went to people who would be considered outcasts in society, and he ministered to them. And even those who were his followers, when they betrayed him, he still stayed with them. Thomas, Peter, his own brother, his half-brother James, who by the way, his half-brother James, later died as a martyr in the city of Jerusalem, He was thrown off the Temple Mount by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. They wanted to get rid of him, and then they stoned him to death after he hit the ground. Now, just 30 years prior to this, James didn't believe his own brother was God. What what would have turned him around to suddenly believe his own brother was God and, and then die as a martyr for that claim? Well, Paul actually tells us in probably the oldest probably, it's not probably, I think it is the oldest evidence for the resurrection in the entire New Testament. It's the ancient creed in First Corinthians 15 verses 3 to 8. This is something Paul received and then put it in writing in 1 Corinthians. He wrote that book in about 55 or so AD. But the data from that creed goes all the way back to the event itself, and it names the people to whom Jesus appeared and one of the people to whom Jesus appeared was his own brother, James. And that convinced him, obviously, that yes, my brother actually is God. And he went to his death. By the way, the, uh, this martyrdom, we don't know from the New Testament. Nobody in the New Testament mentions this. Uh, It's uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian who lived from 37 A.D. to about 100 A.D., and he was probably in Jerusalem at the time when this execution took place. And Hegesippus, another writer who lived later, they're the ones that tell us about James dying as a martyr. There's very good uh, evidence that James actually did die as a martyr. We have very good evidence that Paul did, that Peter did, that the other James in uh, Acts chapter 12 died as well. So we have good evidence that these people Uh, Who were writing the Bible, writing the New Testament, I should say, went to their deaths for saying Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And these were all Jews who had no reason to invent this. These were not people that believed that somebody could arise in the middle of, of time, a resurrection would occur in the middle of time, nor did they believe that a man could be God. And yet, somehow, they claimed those two things and that Jesus literally rose from the dead to the detriment of themselves. Ultimately, it led to their their martyrdoms. So this is good evidence that they actually believe Jesus actually rose from the dead. But Jesus didn't cancel people. Instead, what he did, Jesus, is he canceled our own sin. He canceled our own debt. Paul states this in Colossians chapter uh, two. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by get this canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross jesus canceled our debts he didn't cancel people he canceled the, he canceled the consequences the eternal consequences of our sin and yet we have people now trying to cancel other people in society for things that aren't even sins and they're trying to basically give them eternal punishment eternal meaning (laughs) for the rest of your life here you're never going to work again this is joyless graceless it's without a standard and it's something that obviously needs to be stopped and even some liberals are coming out and saying this alec baldwin who as you know is further left than than most is has come out against it. Uh, several other true liberals have come out against it because there's nothing liberal about denying people free speech and the ability to express themselves. Yet many people are trying to cancel others. Jesus said this, Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Judge correctly, he said in John 7:24. He said that to the Pharisees. Yet people in cancel culture are judging based on a tweet, based on what people say, not what they do. I mean, you could be a. A amazing citizen who has done all sorts of good works, and yet you put one thing on your Twitter feed that somebody disagrees with. That somehow the mob disagrees with. You just say that. And you're canceled. It's not what you do. It's what you say, according to them. Jesus also said this, as you well know, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. This is what John McRae was saying in that short clip we played earlier. How do you love your enemies if you always have to have good feelings for them? You can't. You don't have good feelings for people if love is a feeling, but it's not a feeling. Feelings may be associated with love, but love is a decision. Love is a decision to seek what's best for the other person. And I'll get to in a minute, while it's best for the other person who claims to be transgendered that you don't call them by their preferred pronouns. I'll get to that. Hold on. Paul said this, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive everyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others, Colossians 3. Wow. Forgive each other's faults and forgive everyone who offends you. Now, you, now apparently, in, in, in America, you have a right not to be offended. Well, if you have a right not to be offended, then that means that someone else doesn't have a right to free speech because that person may say something that might offend you. So now you, your right has canceled someone else's right. Do you see why you can't have everyone living just by their own truth. First of all, you don't have your own truth. There is just the truth. But secondly, if you have your own concept of truth and someone else has their another concept of truth and they conflict, how are you going to adjudicate that? How are you going to say that I have a right not to be offended, yet your neighbor has a right to free speech. And as soon as he says something that offends you, you're going to try and shut him down? Those two rights can't exist in a free society because one isn't a right. You don't have a right not to be offended. Other people do have a right to free speech, and so do you. But you don't have a right not to be offended. Now, what happens when somebody says, use my preferred pronouns or else? Well, I think if people are open to reason, and they might not be, But if they are open to reason, I think what you can do is ask them this. If this person is a personal friend of yours, you could say, would you tell me if I was about to do something harmful to myself or others? In other words, would you love me enough to warn me if I was about to do that? I assume the other person would say yes. If so, then you don't want to Confirm something that is going to be harmful to the other person. And it's been shown scientifically that people who struggle with gender dysphoria, for example, don't recover that problem by, say, getting gender reassignment surgery. The people that actually get this kind of surgery still have a 19 times higher suicide rate than the general public. It's 19 times higher than the general public. Dr. Paul McHugh at uh, John Hopkins University likened gender dysphoria to anorexia. It's a a psychological mismatch. It's a mismatch, easy for me to say, a mismatch between your mind and your body. So if someone has anorexia, They have a mismatch between their mind and their body. In their mind, they think they're heavy, but their body actually is dangerously thin. So in order to help that person, you wouldn't say, oh, let's give you liposuction. Let's confirm what your mind thinks about your body. When your body really is dangerously ill and it needs food, you wouldn't say, let's give this body liposuction. The same thing is true when it comes to transgenderism. If there's a mismatch between your mind and your body, you don't try and change your body. In that sense, you can't do it. You change your mind. In anorexia, you change your mind to align with the truth. And the same thing should happen in, tra- in, in, in these transgender cases. You, you don't treat a psychological issue with surgery. You treat it with psychology or with psychiatry, I should say. Now, I know people don't want to hear that, but that's just the truth. And you are not doing anyone, anyone, you're not doing anyone any favors if you try and affirm what you know and everyone in their hearts know is false. You can also ask this question. You can say, do you think I should try to force you to violate your conscience? Just about every reasonable person is going to say no then you want to ask this question. Then why are you trying to force me to violate my conscience? Because in good conscience, I can't affirm something that's going to hurt you or others. And I can't go against the worldview that I hold that there are men and women created in the image of God, and I'm not going to call you something you're not. Now, the advice I'm giving you here doesn't cost me anything. You may be canceled for this. You may lose your job for this. But it's better to live not by lies. I was canceled about 10 years ago before canceling became popular. I'll mention that right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. We're back in just two minutes. Don't go anywhere. How should Christians respond to the cancel culture? I mentioned just before the break that about 10 years ago, it was 2011, I was doing corporate training for Cisco and Bank of America. And uh, I'd been doing it for many years. And someone in one of the leadership classes I was teaching Googled my name and figured out I had written the book, Correct, Not Politically Correct, How Same-Sex Marriage Hurts Everyone. And that person who identified with the LGBTQ community, uh, went to the HR director that day and said, well, Frank can't work here because he doesn't agree with same-sex marriage. Now, keep in mind, this was actually four years, even before the United States Supreme Court imposed, they legislated from the bench, same-sex marriage on the entire nation. And he said to this HR director, this guy can't work here. And she said, well, you know, was his course bad? No, no, his course was great, loved his course. But since he doesn't agree with same-sex marriage, he can't work here. So I was fired that day. Nobody said a word to me other than you're fired, and here's why. They didn't ask me any questions. And to make a long story short, after I had a conversation with the head of inclusion, tolerance, and diversity at Cisco, who couldn't understand why I was upset that I was excluded and not tolerated because I held a diverse view. After I had that conversation with her, uh, I went public and told everybody about it. And I wrote a column, several columns, but probably the one you wanna read if you wanna read the kind of the story of what went down is a column I wrote called Sex at Work. Do not Google that. Do not Google sex at work, okay? Go to our website, crossexamine.org, And in the search bar, type in sex at work, and the column will come up. And it really asked the question, why are we even talking about sex at work? Are we supposed to have sex at work? What's the point? Why are people so obsessed with these questions about sex at work? As long as we treat one another with dignity and respect, regardless of what sexual preference we might have, which, by the way, is what I was doing everywhere I worked, why are we trying to indoctrinate people to believe something that that goes against their conscience? that goes against reality, that goes against centuries, not centuries, millennia of human thought. I mean, this whole LGBTQ transgender theology or ideology, I should say, has arisen in human history in the past 10 minutes. And anybody who now disagrees with it is suddenly canceled and wrong? By what standard? No. Not only for the sake of the gospel, but for the sake of people who even disagree with us, we have to push back. Because you do not help people by affirming what you know and everyone in their hearts know is false. You have to speak the truth. Now, again, it may get you into trouble. And by the way, when I had that conversation with the, the, the head of inclusion, tolerance, and diversity, I kept asking her to define what she means by inclusion, tolerance, and diversity, and she never could do it. She was just through platitude after platitude back at me. No real definition. So I was using the Greg Kochel tactics. You know, what do you mean by inclusion? What do you mean by tolerance? What do you mean by diversity? She couldn't answer. Because what it really means is if you don't agree with our ideology on these issues, you will not be included. You will not be tolerated. I don't care if it's a diverse view. You're done. So in addition to asking the questions I mentioned earlier, questions like, do you think I should try to force you to violate your conscience? No. Then why are you trying to force me to violate mine? You should also ask the questions from the tactics book. What do you mean by that? Someone calls you a bigot. Don't say, I'm not a bigot. Say, what do you mean by bigotry? Because as soon as they try and define it, they're going to be in trouble. Oh, bigotry. Well, you don't agree with me. You You don't agree with LGBTQ, right? Well, I don't agree with you. Yeah, and that that makes me a bigot. How come you're not a bigot because you don't agree with me? You need a standard in order to even make these claims. How'd you come to that conclusion? Why do you think that's true? Have you ever considered that bigotry is not defined by people who have researched this and have come to a rational, logical conclusion on this issue? Have you ever considered? that we discriminate against behaviors all the time. That's what law is. If we didn't discriminate against certain behaviors, we wouldn't even have criminal law. It's not bigotry necessarily. It might be, but not necessarily that you have a position against a particular behavior. It might be, but it might not be. It might be you have good reasons to be against that behavior. And because you're against behavior doesn't mean you're against somebody personally. That's another thing people do. They're they're conflating, they're conflating what they want to do, their behavior with who they are. Your identity is not what you want to do. Your identity is not even what you do. Your identity is in what Christ has done. You don't achieve your identity, you receive your identity. Christianity is unique in that regard. If you have to achieve your identity, you're never going to be good enough. There's always somebody better that can do it, can do it better than you. If you lose your ability to do that, whatever that is, does that make you not a person anymore? Does that mean you have no meaning anymore? No, your identity is not in what you do. Your identity is in whose you are. Are you Christ? Have you given your life to him? Because if you have received him, he's given you the right to become a child of God. That's how you become a child of God. You receive him. John 1.12. You don't achieve it, you receive it. So ask those questions when you're interacting with people on the cancel culture. And part of this too, in addition to you being concerned about other people by telling them the truth, you also have to be concerned what you are becoming. Are you changing the culture or is the culture changing you? You say, Frank, look, I, you know, I, I can't really change the culture. Just little old me. Well, maybe you can't. Maybe none of us can change the culture. It's a, it's a big ship. It's hard to move it. Maybe we won't see much of our efforts changing the culture. Maybe they do slightly, but none that we can really detect. You might not be able to change the culture very much. Granted. But can you prevent the culture from changing you? Yeah, you can do that. You can make sure that you line up with Jesus rather than the culture. So there's a lot more we could say on the cancel culture. In fact, next week we'll get into it. I had a whole bunch I was going to talk about today with regard to the military going woke. I'll save that for another show. But I do want to get to a question that was asked. uh, And by the way, if you want to send questions to us, hello at Crossexamine.org. Hello at Crossexamine.org. Here's a question that comes in from, uh, let's see, Aaron writes in, it's going to be a short answer. Aaron writes in, this whole Israel and Palestine conflict, who would God side with? Okay, well, first of all, Let me point out, it's not who God would side with, it's whether we're siding with God. That's the real issue. Abraham Lincoln was famously asked during the Civil War, do you think God's on our side? And Lincoln famously said, let's make sure we're on God's side, okay? First of all, God loves all people. He wants all people to be saved. But I'm gonna give you a a pithy way of looking at the Israeli-Palestine conflict or, or Palestinian conflict. And it's this. If the Palestinians were to lay down their weapons, there would be no more war. If the Israelis were to lay down their weapons, there would be no more Israel. That's about the simplest way you can say it. Because Hamas, which by the way, in Hebrew means violence. I don't know if they intended that or not because Hamas is actually an acronym, but it also in, in Hebrew means violence. Hamas is dedicated to the extinction of Israel. They don't think Israel should exist. Now, Israel is not dedicated to the to the extinction of the Palestinian people. In fact, on several occasions, they've offered the Palestinians their own homeland and they rejected it. So doesn't mean Israel, whatever what is whatever Israel does is right in this regard. I'm simply saying that from a philosophical and mission point of view, from their from from what they really believe, Hamas wants to wipe out Israel. But Israel is not trying to wipe out the Palestinians. They're trying to defend themselves. So good question. There's a lot more we could talk about in that regard. It looks like there's a ceasefire now, which obviously is a good thing. I also have a question from Jordan who writes in. He says, I've listened to a ton of your videos and podcast. And he's, he's really encouraged by it. He says, what are the benefits of attending CIA as far as gaining more knowledge? Do you believe it's worth attending and I feel like I've, I've heard almost everything you believe and teach. Oh, okay. Well, yes, yeah, CIA is the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy, and we hold it every year. This will be our 14th year. This year, it's going to be out in, uh, at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills, August 12th to the 14th. One of my favorite churches in America, Calvary Chapel Chino Hills. The great Jack Hibbs is the pastor there. Uh, that's where we teach people not only how to present the evidence for Christianity, but how to handle questions, particularly from a hostile audience. And yeah, maybe you watched a lot of my videos. Thank you for doing that, Jordan, but it's not just me there. You're going to learn from Jay Warner Wallace, from Jorge Gill, from Greg Kokel, from Natasha Crane, Elisa Childers, Brett Kunkel, uh, Richard Howe, Sean McDowell uh i'm probably leaving somebody out but we've got a great teaching team there so if you want to be a part of cia you have to apply you don't just show up you got to go to crossexamine.org click on events you'll see cia there and you need to apply i think the deadline is june 15th so it's coming up we only take 60 people so you can't wait you got to get in now why do we take only 60 because not only do we present to you you present to us and so we've got to break up into groups and have everybody in the class present And that takes time. And the beauty of CIA, in addition to all the material you'll learn, all the information you'll find, uh, you will also hang out with all the instructors and be able to ask them questions offline about anything you want to ask them about, how to start a ministry or just questions about apologetics, philosophy, theology. It's all part of CIA. So if you want to be a part of that, you need to sign up very quickly. The Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. Go to crossexamine.org. Click on events. You will see it there and do it before June 15th or you will be left out. All right, friends, that's what I have today. I've got a lot more for next week, so tune in next week. We'll talk about wokeism in the military probably next week and some other things. Uh, Thanks for being with me. I'm Frank Turek. Our website's crossexamine.org. And Lord willing, I will be back here next week. And oh, by the way, we got a few more slots in our Spanish I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist class. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there.